You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series uh, in the book of Isaiah. We've entitled the series, Living in the Shadow of Our Great King. Living in the Shadow of Our Great King. And the theme of Isaiah really is the King, King Jesus And we're living in his shadow. And this morning's message is entitled, Arise and Shine. Arise and Shine. And it's from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 9. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 9. And and really the title of this message comes from verse 1 of Isaiah 60. And, And it literally says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's the first verse of this section of Scripture. That is the main command in this text. And here's the deal. That command is for us today. Many scholars will tell you that the first third of Isaiah is really written to the, I, the Israel when they're in sin, and Isaiah is bringing a word of correction. And the second third of Isaiah, which includes those beautiful suffering servant passages that we preached around the Easter time, is written to Israel in exile around 586 BC. And God's promising to give them a savior. But the last third of Isaiah, Isaiah 56 through 66, has much more of an eschatological feel. It's written to God's people down through the quarters of time. It's written about Jesus Christ, the ruling king who rules from Jerusalem, from his people over all the earth. So this is very much written to you and me this morning as God's people. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory has come. Of the Lord has risen upon you. So let me give you an illustration to try to help you understand that. Because you're thinking, God's glory has risen on me. I'm supposed to shine. How in the world do I shine? How has God's glory risen on me? I don't feel very glorious this morning. What is God's glory? What is, what, is, what is God doing? Well, let me give you an illustration to help you understand it. So in 2018, we had our annual men's retreat at a campground called the Collier Seminole State Park. It's on the western edge of the Everglades. So if you jump on I-75, Alligator Alley, drive almost to where you get to Naples and you get off in this Super isolated area is where we had our men's retreat. And one of the, the probably the main thing it had going for it, other than the bugs, uh, was that it was very isolated from any city lights. I mean, it was dark. It was much darker than this city boy was comfortable with, all right? But... One of the advantages of being in such a dark area, as Juan Heldres will tell you, is that the stars that you never could see, even if you go to a campground close to South Florida, are suddenly available for your sight. And so Juan brought his amazing telescope, and it was really cool at night. He set it up, and like we were able to like count the rocks on the moon. That's how clear it looked. And if there would have been someone there, we could have waved at him. 
And the other fun thing that this place afforded us was a rip-roaring game of nighttime frisbee. Nighttime frisbee, you say? Yes, nighttime frisbee. I mean, it was so dark, you could not see people. You could sort of hear them. So imagine you got about 30 or 40 guys being guys late at night. It's about 10, 11 o'clock at night. Nothing else to do, right? Scattered in this huge field. And here's the goal. You, you, you throw the frisbee and you see how many times you can throw it and catch it without it falling to the ground. Yes, I know. Simple games for simple minds. But believe it or not, it entertained us for hours. And I laughed so hard. Why, you asked that I laugh so hard? Well, here's the deal. The Frisbee is a special Frisbee, obviously, right? It's a glow-in-the-dark Frisbee. So someone takes a light. You know, they'll, they'll maybe take the, the flashlight from their iPhone. or These guys had these headlamps. You know, the headlamps guys have, you know, put them on. And you shine it on the Frisbee, right? And it captures all that light, and it's got this uh, fluorescent nature to it. So then it's pitch dark, and you can sort of hear people. And all of a sudden, you see the Frisbee fly, and, you're, and like, you're, all right, who's going to get it? And you see... It stops, and you're hoping that it doesn't fall to the ground. All right, that's, that's one, you know. Now here's, here's where the laughter came from. There, there was, everybody had the situation where you see the Frisbee fly, and then you hear it like hit someone's head, punk, and fall to the ground. You start laughing. But there was this one individual who you would see the Frisbee fly in his direction, and you would kind of see where maybe his hand hit it, and then you would hear it fall to the ground, and you would hear this sound. Darn it! <laughs> I know that's not funny to you, but I still laugh every time I think about it. And I mean, I'm on the ground rolling around laughing so hard. So you're asking yourself, what does this have to do with Isaiah 60? Good question, right? Okay, entertaining, Al, but we're not here to be entertained, are we? Come on, preach it. We're the Frisbee. We're the Frisbee in Isaiah 60. See, when it says, arise, shine... For your light has come. How many of you know that the light is not from us? Like that Frisbee, it had to be lit by a foreign light. So it could be glow in the dark. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We're the Frisbee that is lit with the light of God's glory. That would shine in the darkness of this world around us. Because when it's that dark and we were playing this, this you know, glow-in-the-dark Frisbee, everybody could, that Frisbee had all of our attention. That's the only thing we could see. We were attracted to that thing. And so, and so God has shown his light on you. And his glory has risen on you that you might glow and reflect his light to a darkened world around you. Whether you feel glorious this morning or not, if you're a Christian, there's a light that shines on you, buddy. And Budrina, sorry. And that light changes you and it affects people around you. So, what we're going to explore in this text this morning is how does God's glory shine upon us? Why does he give us his glory? And what is the effect of God's glory on our lives for us and for those around us? So read with me. Isaiah chapter 60. By the way, please turn there. 
You understand this is God's word. This is the most important thing you're going to hear all week long. This will change your life as the Holy Spirit is upon you. So grab your electronic devices. Grab your Bible. If you don't have one, we've got some back there. Look almost in us. Read them with me as I read them. Listen to them with your ears. Let them fall upon your life. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephath, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kadar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come upon you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify, listen to this, verse 7, I will beautify my beautiful house. That's us. Verse 8, who are these that fly like a cloud and like Doves to their windows. Verse 9. For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar. Their silver and gold with them. Why? Here's the deal. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Here's the main point of this text on the screen. God's glory changes his people, beautifies them, and attracts the nations around them. God's glory changes his people and attracts the nations around them. Point one, God's glory changes his people. What is this glory that rises upon us? Church, this glory is Jesus Christ. Look at John 1 on the screen, verse 14. And the word became flesh, speaking of Christ, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how does God give you his glory? I mean, First of all, do you believe, Christian, that God's glory has risen upon you? And if you do, and if God's glory is Jesus Christ, how does God give you that glory in a practical way? He gives you that glory through the place where his glory was most vividly seen. The place where the spotlight of God's glory shines brightest, where our Frisbee, the Frisbee of our lives, must be underneath that to receive the light to glow. The place. The center of God's glory revealed on earth is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, 
Christian, the reason the cross is at the center and the central symbol of what we believe is because it's at the cross of Jesus Christ that God's glory is revealed. How can you say that, Al? Because it's at the cross of Jesus Christ where God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took your sin and your shame and gave you his righteousness. God the Son reversed the inglorious aspects of your life and my life, sin and shame, took them upon himself and gave us the glorious aspects of his life, righteousness, and qualified us to receive glory at the cross. So so the way God's glory rests upon you is through the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said the following. When he was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, he said this to them. Excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 24, on the screen. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That doesn't make any sense. That is counterintuitive. At that time, the cross would have represented what today would represent a lethal injection or the electric chair or maybe even beheading in an in a, in a Islamic culture. It was the thing that was done to you if you were guilty of a capital offense in a culture that believed in capital punishment. So if you were to be killed for your crime, the cross is how you would be killed. It was the worst way to die as a criminal. Why would Jesus say to take up your cross and follow me? Because at the cross is where Jesus turned our non-glory into glory. It's at the cross that we receive this wisdom from God. And the world misses it. The world looks at the cross and says it is foolishness. It is weakness. Jesus says, no, it's at the cross that my glory is given to you. And it's at the cross that we have the promise of the resurrection. We have the promise of the glory to come. I'm spending a lot of time talking to you about how the glory of God comes upon your life because many people miss it because what we do as humans is we think we'll get God's glory a little different way. We hit the cross as the entrance point, but oh, God's glory must be somewhere else. God's glory is in prosperity. God's glory is in perfect health. God's glory is in total success all the time. Listen, those things can come your way. Praise God if they do. But God never moves on from the cross. God's glory is revealed at the cross because at the cross, Jesus took my sin, took my shame, and gives me his righteousness. That's why in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 9, the Apostle Paul, I believe, thinking about Isaiah. I believe Paul was thinking about Isaiah, those last 10 chapters of Isaiah, because he's going to quote from Isaiah in this section. He's going to tell us why the cross is where God's glory is given to God's people. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 on the screen. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. You may or not may not be aware of this, but Jesus was slain 
what happened to him at the cross before the foundations of the earth. I know. It makes your head go, how do I understand this? How could he be slain before I ever existed, before I ever sinned, yet he was slain before my sin to cover my sins so that at the cross he would take my my sin and shame and give me his glory because he's God. Aren't you glad he did it? Don't ever move on from the cross. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. No, they don't. And they still don't. And you don't either, unless God gives you that understanding. And if he has, don't boast about it. Just say, thank you, Lord. And glory in the cross. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, now here... Paul is going to quote from Isaiah 64. Remember those last 10 chapters of Isaiah? He's going to quote this Isaiah 64 passage. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God prepared for those who love him. That's the glory. That's the glory of God. It's a glory that's always preceded by suffering. See, this is the part that, that they didn't get in Jesus' time, and it's the part you and I don't like. I want the glory. Can I have it without the suffering, please, Lord? No. Because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, I, I suffered before I received the glory. This is the part of Christianity that we miss in our consumeristic me, me, me culture. In my, I want to graduate from college tomorrow and make 80 grand a year. I'll go ahead and be the CEO. Thank you very much. I know I'm only 26, but I kind of know everything anyway. So can I just get there now? And we transmit that into our Christianity. And we forget that Jesus said, no, for the, for the glory and the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 2. What am I doing? I'm hammering this point that God's glory is given to us through the cross and that the cross is preceded by suffering so that you're not surprised by it. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the right hand of the throne of God is the glory The cross is the suffering and the shame. He went through the cross looking to the glory by faith because he knew that that would win us, you and me who don't deserve it, to participate in that glory. One last scripture. And by the way, write these down and study them uh, later on today. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 9. Hebrews 12, 2. Matthew 16, 24. And then the last one. Peter. I think as well, thinking about Isaiah, those last 10 chapters, wrote the following in 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, comma, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, this plays out in community. So let's think about this for a second. What is God's glory? God's glory is revealed that at the cross, he has given us his righteousness and taken our sin and shame. And how does God's glory affect us? God's glory affects us and that now we receive that glory and he, 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 he makes us into his disciples. He makes us into his image. He changes us. 
so that, so that the, God's glory impacts our lives. And the way he says it in this text here is that it beautifies us. Look at verse 7. And I will beautify my beautiful house. And at the end of verse 9. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. All right, what does that mean? What does that mean to be beautified? Well, this is what it means. It means that we receive the nature, not the nature, but we receive, we are made into the image of Christ. We become like our Lord. And instead of living for ourselves, we live to serve others. Remember, Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. Instead of living in pride, we live in humility. Remember, it says in Philippians 2 that Jesus humbled himself. And as God, he said, I am going to set aside my privilege and I'm going to come to earth fully God, fully man. I'm going to live as a servant. I'm going to obey even to the point of death, death on a cross. It means that we live in patience toward one another. It le- means we live in grace toward one another. It means that we live in forgiveness toward one another. On the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he also said, forgive them for they know not what they do. We live to serve, not be served. We live for Christ's reputation, not our reputation. Okay, so the glory of God upon us means that God takes our sin and shame, means that God gives us his righteousness in Christ, means that God changes us and beautifies us to live this lifestyle. If we live for ourselves... Even if we name the name of Christian, we're like a darkened Frisbee flying through a dark night at Collier Seminole State Park. No one's going to see that Frisbee. No one's going to catch that Frisbee. It might hit that Frisbee might hit some people in the head because they don't even know what's coming. Frisbees are silent, right? God's glory upon you changes you. Remember the question, what is God's glory? How does he give it? And what effect does it have? It changes you. It beautifies you. It makes you into his disciples. It restores you back to what we were created as before the fall. It's ugly to be selfish. It's ugly to be unforgiving. It's ugly to hold vengeance. It's ugly to have a grudge. It's ugly to push people away. It's ugly to just do your own thing. It's ugly to put other people down. It's, it's, we're ugly if we're, if we're that way, even as Christians. But it's beautiful when you see someone who's gracious and patient and kind and courageous and forgiving and, 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 and loving it's, isn't it beautiful to see someone serve other people totally in a disinterested fashion? I'm just going to serve you. That's what the glory of God, that's the effect it has on us. God does for us in our communities, 
in Christ what we could not do for ourselves. He shares his glory with us in a way that is so unexpected, in a way that the world doesn't understand. We want to reign with him now. Jesus says, no, learn how to serve others now. We want to rule and and have our way. And he says, no, no, learn how to be last. We want to get, he says, no, first learn to give. It's, It's just like, whoop. But it's beautiful. The world doesn't even know how beautiful it is. But when they see it, there's something that attracts them. But even as Christians and even in the church, we seek our own glory. See, he makes you beautiful. Not so that the nations will come to look at your beauty, but at his beauty. But we make it about our beauty. Don't we? I, uh, please don't be offended by this illustration. Okay. There's your warning. I was thinking about the trillion dollar beauty, youth, health, rejuvenation industry. I, I did research. It's trillion dollars between just the beauty products and the, hey, keep me, keep me young product. You know, South Florida is like the epicenter of that, right? All these baseball players that were in trouble for steroids. Guess where you think they went to get all those steroids? South Florida. <laughs> we are a vain people, are we not? <laughs> and there's part of me that understands that industry. Stay with me for a second, okay? I don't want to beat up on you if you're all glammed up this morning. You look beautiful, okay? There, there's something in human beings that rebels against aging, death, and all that stuff. You know why? If you're not a Christian, you know why? Because when God first created man, he created man to live forever with God and enjoy. Death was not part of the deal at the beginning. But the reason death came is that man said, huh, forget you, God. I want to be God. And God said, okay, fine, but the penalty is death. So there's something in human beings as, as image bearers that hates death, that hates aging, right? So there, there's an impulse to try to reverse aging, right? And so a trillion-dollar industry. Thank you very much. And it, many of you look much more beautiful with that stuff on. Some of you could use some of it. I was looking at a guy right there, okay, not his wife. (laughs) But here's the sad part. Here's the sad part. Listen to me. It's the motivation for why I want to be beautiful. See, in that industry, I want to be beautiful so that you see that I'm beautiful and you tell me how beautiful I am. It can happen in churches. We want to grow, get our own building, have thousands of people. Preach great sermons. Now, ostensibly, biblically, is to show the world how beautiful our God is. But dude, if you're the pastor of that church, you also want people to see how beautiful you are. Yes, I'm the humble servant of God. He did use me to do this. I mean, I I won't lie to you, right? I'm 62, okay? I won't lie to you. It's flattering when I someone finds out, oh, you're 62. Oh, you don't look 62. I'm not gonna lie to you, that feels good, you know? But can I tell you that I am 62 and quickly getting older? I'm going to get hearing aids next week. Yeah, that's right. All of you have been trying to talk to me, and I can't, ah, what? Why did I? 
Bless my wife, she's so sick of it. I hate that. You understand, no matter how good my genes are, I got pretty good genes. My mom, you know, she lived long life. I'm going to die. How's that for encouraging you? Welcome to Palm Vista. You're going to die. I am. The bags under these eyes are going to keep getting bigger. Even if I go get whatever surgery I'm going to get, this body is going to get saggier. Things are going to sag that never sagged before. Like, oh, man. And it's okay that I hate it. It's okay that I wake up with a pain in my body going, where did that come from? Yeah, you just hit 50, buddy. That's where that came from. (laughs) But as Christians, I know that there's a beautification process going on that starts from the inside out so that they can see how beautiful he is. And I know one day, because Jesus rose from the dead, listen to me, you're going to have a resurrection body that will never get sick again forever and ever and ever. Now, it takes faith to see it, but that that testimony in your mouth right now is going to say to people, there's a beautiful God who did a beautiful thing for me, and he's beautifying me, not just so you'll say how beautiful I am, but how beautiful he is. Give him glory and worship him. And now I'm the Frisbee flying through the air in the pitch darkness. And people are saying, well, okay, what is that? You got, you got my attention. Now, so you say how beautiful I am, how beautiful he is. And that's point two. God, God's glory attracts the nations. Why does God beautify us? We've talked about what God's, what God's glory is, how he gives it to us through the cross. He talks about its effect on us. It beautifies us. It restores our marriages. It restores our relationships. It restores our lives. It turns us from being egotistical jerks whenever we live, drive, whatever we do on the phone, whatever it is. And, we, and it beautifies us so that what comes out of our mouth and what comes out of our lives is grace and mercy. And we help others and we serve others and we give. We give sacrificially and thank you for doing all that and the reason for that is that it would attract the nations God's elect on your block God's elect at your work the nations that are around you would see the light of God and say oh how not say how great you are but how great your God is That's what it says from verse 2 on. Look at verse 2 again. For the second time, he's going to talk about God's glory arising on his people. But notice the context of God's glory in verse 2. There's a contrast here. See if you can see it. For behold, verse 2, Isaiah 62. Please look at it. This is too important to just listen. Look at it. Isaiah 62. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But, but... First part of that verse is call your Seminole State Park, pure darkness, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And then from verse three, all the way down to verse nine, it's the, it's God saying, and I will use that light to draw people. Whenever you're in darkness, you're always attracted to light. That's the way we were made. At our core, we weren't made for darkness. We were made for light. Sin came in and and causes men to love darkness because of sin. But but God created us to love light. So light's going to attract people's eyes. That frisbee attracts my eyes. This is what it means when Peter was writing later on. I believe he was thinking about this as well. I think he was thinking about this verse right here. We'll find out when we get to heaven. We'll ask him. But in 1 Peter 2.9. Peter writes this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
A people for his own possession, right? He calls us. He beautifies us. His glory is rising upon us. That's what that means. A people for his own possession. Bought at the cross. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who what? Called you out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. That's the contrast of verse 2 here. It's an exodus uh, mentality, right? Israel came out of Egypt, darkness, into the light, promised land. I think Isaiah is doing this on purpose. God's doing this on purpose, reminding them what he did through Moses and what he's really going to do in Christ, who is the fulfillment of all those pictures in the Old Testament. He calls us out of darkness to draw his elect out of all the nations. And why do they come? They come because they see the beauty of God. That's what it means at the end of verse 9. Look at it. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. What he's saying here is this. Look, this Holy One of Israel is transcendent, far above all. Yet he's imminent. He's right with us, Jesus. He's morally perfect. He is morally perfect. He outgives all the other gods. He gave his only begotten son. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's at every place at the same time, fully there. He's the creator God who has no rival. So stop worshiping your idols and your gods. I'm calling you from the nations, from the darkness out there to come to the city set on a hill, the city that's light, the people that have light on them. I love what Oswald says in his um, commentary, the last quote there from Oswald, Stephen When the nations of earth see the God of the Bible as he really is, that's what verse 9 means, by the name of the Lord your God, for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful, we're to bear testimony to who God really is. When the nations of earth see the God of the Bible as he really is, no other being that may have been called God is left with any divine standing at all. Amen. God wins. God wins. And here's the appeal, my friends. God gives us his glory to beautify us so that we might reflect the light of his glory to the nations so that his elect would be drawn to him in an irresistible manner. And he gives you that glory so that you might walk it out tomorrow when you go to work, this afternoon when you visit family. We're going to go visit the family of, of one of our members here in the church. Actually, it's, it's, it's Elsa's family. And her father died last week. And so we're going to go bring a meal to her mom. And I'm praying that God's glory would reflect off of me onto Nelson and onto Mabel and onto Maria and, and onto your mom. And, 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 and that God would just do a miracle. I'm going in hope, not because of my beauty, but because of his beauty. And I know you say amen to that because you've been doing that for years. In your neighborhoods, in your communities. When you go to whatever clubs you go to, whatever professional organizations you're in, when you're arguing a case in court, when you're, when you're healing someone as a doctor, when you're, when you're working geospatial map stuff for the Marine Corps, whatever it is, God's glory would be on you in a way that is very natural in one sense, but in a way that's very supernatural in another sense. And people say, what's going on? And God's elect will come because God will draw them. But he uses us. He beautifies us to reveal his beauty. Arise, shine, church, for your light has come 
and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.